Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we give a voice to those women whose story is meaningful, moving, and compelling. We share these stories with you so that in our guests shining, they give permission to others to shine as well. I'm super duper excited to have Stephanie Corey of Up Level Ops as my guest today. I know Stephanie. I adore Stephanie. She's genius, hardworking, out there changing the industry, the legal industry as we know it. And I'm sure those of you who do know her love her. Those who don't need to know her. Um, so welcome, Stephanie. Thank you for being here. Susan, thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, for those who don't know you, which, what, 2% of the population, perhaps, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, now you're making me feel like I'm overexposed. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm <not>. um, <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to you and your audience today. Um, I, it's funny, you know, when you kind of look at your, your life and your career, you, you know, we all have thoughts about how we got here and, and really my whole profession and my, my legal career, it, it was kind of an accidental, I kind of stumbled into this. And so when I was, um, after I graduated from college, um, with a degree in economics, I decided to go to graduate school and I got an MBA. And um, never, never dreamed that I would be spending my entire career supporting lawyers. And um, when I moved to California, just trying, I wanted to do something different, move away from the East Coast and uh, where I grew up in Pennsylvania. And I moved to California and I was in personal finance and mortgage banking. And I had my, um, before I got into mortgage banking, I, I was heading down the um, investment path. And so I had my brokerage licenses and all that. I didn't enjoy it. I, it wasn't for me. And then I went in, into a mortgage bank and was running their finance department and their accounting department and really enjoyed that actually. I liked the numbers, I liked the math. Um, and, uh, and once I was finished with that job, I pretty much got what I could out of it. A friend of mine was working at HP and said, you know, the general counsel is looking for a financial and legal operations manager. And I had no idea even what a general counsel was, to be totally honest <laughs> with you. And I read the job description. I'm like, I could, you know, yeah, no problem. The, the arrogance of youth told me that, you know, I, I could it. do that job. No problem. I love it. And so I ended up just, yeah, it was great. And so, uh, you know, I was a kid. I was in my, you know, early 20s. You were and so I um, lean in was a thing. <laughs> yeah, I leaned in and, and just didn't even think twice about it. Didn't even dream that they would say no, you know. And so I emailed the general counsel directly because my friend worked there. So he had the, the, you know, the GC's email address, which back then, this is before the online really recruiting was really a thing. They were doing a little bit of it, but I'm sure my resume would have never gotten to the GC had I followed the right process. That's the bottom line. <laughs> but because I was able to email him directly and I, you know, with this bubbly, hey, Jack, this is Jack Brigham, who at the time was like this. Silicon Valley, you know, iconic GC. God. And I'm yeah. just like, hey, yeah, right. And I'm like, hey, Jack, I, you know, just thought I'd drop you a line and I saw your open <laughs> position and I think I'm perfect for it. That's all bubbly. Awesome. And, and lo and behold, he replied back and said, why don't you come in for an interview? Wow. And then it was this, yeah. And it was, it, you know, again, coming from working at a, it was a startup mortgage bank where I was sitting at a card table 
and um, and then went to HP's offices. And you know, back, this is back in 1999, and that that HP was the company in the valley to work for, right? Yes. And yes. so I right, and so I, I end up in the boardroom, this huge, fancy, like wood everything, just gorgeous boardroom, with Jack Brigham, who is the general counsel, and all his direct reports. So all the deputy GCs and I'm thinking to myself, well, there's, yeah, I'm like, there's no way I'm getting this job. So I may as well have fun and in the interview and I'll just be myself. And, um, and I remember the last line, you know, I, I just was, I just was myself and I tried to interview as best as I could. And, and, um, and Jack said to me, you know, Stephanie, and this is, this is a, a while ago. So this is an actually an appropriate thing to say. I don't, I don't know that he would have gotten away with it today, but he looked at me and he said, you look like a very nice young lady. And he goes, I'm a little concerned that you're going to be working with a bunch of attorneys who have big egos um, <laughs> and they can be difficult to work with. And well, I said, well, Jack. changed for sure. <laughs> yeah, that hasn't changed. But him calling me a nice young lady might, yes. not, might not be okay today. But there I was. He was absolutely right. And yes. so, uh, you know, he said, I, he's concerned. You know, the lawyers have big egos and all of that. And I said, well, Jack, my father is a surgeon. And he goes, you're hired. <laughs> and so, you know, it, took, yeah, it was great. And so it was literally just one of those things of just happening to be in the right place at the right time. I had, you know, a great contact who was able to get me in and it was, and I got the job and it was the best role of, of my career up to this point, up to starting my own business. And, awesome. and just, it, yeah, it was amazing. And I, I worked with such a great team and they really took me under their wing and taught me everything about the practice of law in-house. And I learned, I figured out what a general counsel does and I learned <laughs> what all of the other groups do. And it was um, the most incredible experience. And when I started at HP, the legal department was 200 people, which was a significantly big department at that point, at that time. And then by the time I'd left 11 years later, I, again, I was planning on spending a year or two there, you know, getting to know the legal department and then moving into one of the businesses. I saw this as a foray into, um, or as a, um, a, a pathway into one of the business units at HP because I was a business person. So that's right. what I assumed I would end up doing. And so I, um, yeah, so I, I ended up, but they kept giving me new things and a job stayed interesting and I got to learn technology. And that was the piece that was really so critical to my, you know, the future um, for me, especially at up-level ops doing my consulting businesses, really understanding how technology played such a critical role in the practice of law. And so, um, and so it was, the department grew in my 11 years, just through acquisitions and, of course, some organic growth, to 1,200 people by the time I'd left. So it was a massive wow. department. Yeah. And so I got to see and grow with, you know, and learn through through that whole process. So it was a great experience. And um, and because of HP, that's, that's, and Jack Brigham, who hired me, that's where, you know, why I'm, I am where I am. Um, I then had a, a brief stint at VMware where I had a similar role. And then John Hope, who was the general counsel at, uh, um, at NCR, and when Mark Hurd took over as CEO at HP, he, he came over and was running the um, HP's ethics and compliance program, and he and I became good friends. I really enjoyed working with him, and then he took the general counsel role at Flextronics and asked me to come over and build the ops team from scratch there, which I did. Um, and so he and I worked together in-house for um, about five years together, at Flex, and then um, he 
uh, he and I left to start up level and do basically what we were doing in house as a consulting business. Um, and we've been wow. doing that for the last three years. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So I have to say folks, when I opened the call, the, the session with, Oh, you know, I know Stephanie that apparently I didn't know all this about you. It's amazing. You're amazing. And it's so refreshing to hear a positive look back. You know, people say, Oh, I left because, and it's never, uh, it's rarely positive when they finish that sentence. What a great, great success story. And one other thing I want to say before I ask your, uh, you the next question is how refreshing is it that at a young age you were able to just be who you are and had the gumption and you were bold enough and brave enough and courage to just, like you said, the, the naivete of youth. Um, but we lose that and that kills me. And I try to get women, yeah. you know, of every age not to lose that or to re-engage with that inner self or younger self or more bold version of themselves. Um, because that's what happens. You know, women trail off. We don't apply to those jobs that we're not 100% qualified for. And, and because men are, are judged based on potential and women are judged based on past performance, we're reluctant to be so bold as you were in your youth. Um, I, I know you, I know you're bold still today. I think it's great. I think that um, with today's online recruiting and the technology that's in place that filters out supreme talent like you, um, that that's a nice story to hear that you had the courage to just write directly to the GC. And it's a shocking story to hear that he wrote you back. So what a beautiful yeah. story. And, and to know that you have positive relationships with these people today and Folks, you'll hear more about what Stephanie does today. Um, I'm suspecting it's the answer to my next question, but I don't know. Um, I would ask, what is your proudest professional accomplishment? Yeah, you know, and, and thank you for saying all of that, because I think you're right. I mean, somewhere, I, I noticed that when I turned 40, that somewhere along the line, I felt a little less confident at 40 than I did at 25. And I don't know how that happened. And it was one of those, you know, you, you kind of take stock and, and, um, and I think you're right, Susan, that I spent, I now spend a lot of time like being, trying to be a little more carefree. And I think it's because now somebody said this to me, I can't even remember who it was. And I think they're right. You know, at 25, you didn't really have a reputation you were worried about. You didn't have the responsibilities you have now. All of that is true. And so that, I think, you, you have a bit of a heavier load on you that you need to worry about and other people and all of that. Um, so probably some of that is true. But I think there is really something to be said about just, just going for it. Nothing bad can happen. The worst that could have happened was he didn't email me back or right. that I interviewed and, and, and he, they said no. But yet I got this great experience interviewing, right? So Yes, I totally agree with you. Just be bold. I mean, why not? What is there to lose? Well, um, so irony, thanks for saying that. That's, yeah. yeah, the irony is that we're supposed to get wiser as we get older, but I think that wisdom um, sometimes leads us down a path of fear of being bold. Again. Yes. Um, I think that society, and especially in the workplace, women who get older realize, hey, this they may not you know, name it sexism or ageism or, but we have a lot of isms we faced face as yeah. we get older that we don't even think about when we're younger. And I am one, for example, I mean, I know that I, you know, the speed of Susan, the enthusiasm of Susan, I've been accused of being very 
entrepreneurial. And I think they did not mean that as a compliment, but <laughs> it's kind of, I've been called passionate. Um, you know, these things are not always compliments, but I choose to, in my mind, um, make them compliments because you know what, yeah. I'm not going to operate out of fear. I'm not going to pull back. I'm not going to. And like you said, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. If it doesn't happen, it's not the worst thing in the world. That's right. If people can't handle exactly. that, you're tried, you know? So and, yeah. And, and, and I, I will answer your question, I promise. But, but to that point, I think being yourself is really critical. And, and I, where you've been accused of being entrepreneurial and passionate, I've also been accused of being overly passionate as well, just because I get so excited about things and bubbly and, and said in a negative way. And I'm sorry, that is not a negative thing. If somebody is going to say I'm too energetic and too bubbly, well, fine. But, you know, and, and use it in a negative way as though I'm not also smart and hardworking. I'm all those things. And so you're just embracing that and being totally fine with who you are. And if people don't like it, then, you know, find yourself a good fit where, where you'll be accepted and not have to change your personality to fit some mold of a corporation, you know? Exactly, exactly. So you just described um, what my friend Jenny Wickham, um, she's the chief of staff of the mayor's office in Kansas City, Missouri. She's doing a talk for me or for um, a December 5th event that I'm doing called uh, the fine line between cupcake and bitch. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I think we have both walked that tightrope before. You and have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're friendly, people see you as incompetent. If you're not friendly, then they see you as a bitch. It's just wrong. And yep. a lot of people are out there trying to change you and change me. And I say, screw that. Let's change corporate America. Let's change right. the judgmental, you know, closed-minded fear-based operations that we find in many industries and create a, you know, bigger pie, not just, you know, fight for those few pieces of pie that women now right. fight for. So again, and a broader acceptance of competence and, and what works, exactly. you know, I find mm-hmm. that because I'm secure, because I love who I am is why I'm passionate and not afraid to be vulnerable, not afraid to tell the truth and not afraid to be excited and enthusiastic. I don't look around the room and, and you know, look left to right and up and down to see before I can cheer a good idea on. If I like the idea, I'm going to cheer it on. Other people's you opinions got it. are my business. So. Frankly, exactly. it has served us both well, and, and we have a few, you know, scars from it as well. But yep. you, you, my friend, it. you are a rock star. So again, I'll ask, what is your proudest professional accomplishment? You have many from which to choose. Thank you. And I think, you know, I, I, I do have some good accomplishments that I am proud of. And for me, I, it was starting this business up level and um, leaving a job where you're getting, you're doing well and you're, and you're relatively happy and, and, uh, and you're getting a, a, a paycheck every two weeks, um, to start your own gig is terrifying. It was for me anyway. And, um, and it, but, but I had to do it. It felt like the right thing at the right time. It just seemed like a no brainer. And mercifully I've been in, you know, in my network and Susan, I know you have the same experience we have these great people in our networks who do support us and I reached out to people who were in theory competitors doing what I was doing um but at the end of the day we end up working together more than we compete against each other and um 
and I, you know, asked them if they thought it would be a good idea. And they just, every single person said, this is something you have to do. There's no doubt it's, you're going to be successful. And, um, and so I did it and I'm very grateful for their, you know, they, they all gave me kind of, you know, the, the red flags and the warnings and the, you know, and, and warning about, you know, some of the potential speed bumps, but said, you know, that nonetheless, this is something you should do. Be prepared. You might not get a paycheck for, you know, four months, five months, six months, but, but, you know, you will, you'll be successful because there's so much demand right now for this type of work and legal departments really are looking at restructuring and, and adding technology and, and building out plans for legal operations and what, you know, what they're going to take on in terms of people process technology and, and how to restructure their firm engagements. Every law department I talk to is heading down this path. So there's plenty of work out there and plenty of people who want to have somebody, not just a career consultant, but somebody who's actually been in house and lived it and had to, you know, spend every quarter in the CEO, the CFO's office talking about finances and, and, and getting resources from the CIO to implement technologies, et cetera. So people like that, you know, to, for their, um, their advisors to have this in-house experience. And so um, everybody was right. There is a big demand for this and, and right out of the gate, um, we had a, I, I won't name the client cause I don't know if they want to be named, but it's, it's either the largest or the second largest employer in California. So if you, if you'll probably figure yes. it out yes. just yes. based on that, but yes, a, right. <laughs> so there you go. So it's, it's huge. You know who I'm talking about cause you and I have talked about this and my work with them. This is my first experience doing, being on the consulting side, which is a little different from being in a, a company employee, right? Like you come at it from a different perspective. You don't have as much of a say, like they're paying you for your advice, but by the same token, like when I would have to go in and demand that people do something, I'm not in that position anymore. So it is, you, you just advise. And then if they don't want to take your advice, guess what? You can't force them to take your advice. You could lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And so you've got to just say, okay, if you don't want to go this route, I can support you in this, in these ways. And so that was a different experience for me. And I think, you know, I've heard that some people, and I've seen, you know, some people like leave their jobs, go out and consult, and then they decide they don't want to consult, and they go back in-house, and I've seen that, and, and to each his or her own, absolutely, there's no right or wrong here, it's whatever you're happy doing, but I was proud of myself for being able to make the transition, I think, quite successfully, and it's been an it's been incredibly fun and we've been very successful out of the gate. And so I'm just happy for that. And I feel very proud for the work that John and I have done and, and our team of consultants who work with us and our project people. And I think we've done a good job and I'm just really proud of this work in particular. You should be, you should be. So I, I would like to just point out that um, people who may not know you know, briefly tell people what up-level ops is. I know, and let me tell you how I met Stephanie, folks. Um, for some reason, we connected when I was in-house at a law, a law firm, a, a very well-known law firm that I won't mention here, but um, they need what she does, okay? So let's just put it that way. And everybody was talking, the buzzword was MarTech, and, you know, marketing technologists were the new thing, and we were like, what is legal operations? And what does technology have to do with law firms or law practices, I should say, or practice of law? 
And I knew, cause I mean, I had years of experience in that industry, but when I talked to Stephanie and we spoke the same language and she brought this new twist to um, the legal arena, if you will, I was blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, you speak my language, but you're not a legal marketer. You speak my language, but you're not, you know, you're, you're like in a different category. And so um, I asked her, you know, tell me what up-level ops does. And so now I'll ask you again to tell the listeners, basically, you know, what is legal operations and what does up-level ops do to grow and protect a firm? Yeah, you got it. And, and what's funny, Susan, is none of what you're saying surprised me at the time when we met that you and I were, were speaking the same language because, you know, I speak at a lot of conferences and and panels and all that kind of good stuff and and it's funny like when the audience is all lawyers like from law firms not in-house because the in-house people get it they need help and so they they pay attention right like when I'm talking about process improvements and stuff they're actually listening when I talk to law firm lawyers who are in the audience they're on their phones like they immediately turn me off they have no interest in what I'm talking about but when I'm talking to a group of law firm marketing professionals and um, and business development people, like your your colleagues, they're like taking notes furiously. So it's so funny. And, and I know I've talked to other ops people as well. And they say the same thing. Oh, yeah. Like when you're talking to a firm, get those people in the room because they get it. They know it's going to grow the business. And because we're speaking on behalf of the client, right? Like we're in-house ops people speaking on behalf of the client. That's why you get it and you're taking notes furiously. But the in-house lawyers, or I mean, the the law firm lawyers are just like, oh, what emails can I get through while this goof is up on stage talking at me, you know, kind of a thing. It's really true. It's really true. And it's it's a little sad, actually. It's become like we all laugh about it. But truthfully, it's It's a disconnect. They don't yeah. know what they don't know, and they need to listen. Yeah, and, and what happens is it, it's, um, you know, Liam Brown from Elevate Services, he does this great presentation, and he has this one uh, section of his presentation where he says, he mind the gap. And, and what he's talking about is there's a big gap between what law firms are trying to give to their clients and what the clients really want. And to me, some of that, not all of it, some of it is substantive legal work, but a lot of it has to do with legal operations. And what legal operations is, it's the business of the practice of law. And so when you look at any legal department, you've got the substantive work going on. There's tons of substantive legal work going on. But the rest of it is the running of the legal department, which I would argue is equally as critical. And why it's equally critical is because if you're not running your law department efficiently, if you're not delivering your legal services efficiently, you're going to have miserable internal clients. Um, and so, you know, any, any in-house law department is like the law firm for the, that corporation that they work for, that company right. that they work for. And so, and then they, they, re, they have a whole network of law firms that they reach out to for the expertise that they don't have. Um, and so it's really no different. Like when, when, if we complain about our law firms, cause they're whatever, they're unresponsive, they're not following our billing guidelines. They don't come to the table with data. They're not um, being proactive partners. They're not talking to us about how they can better partner with us. They're not, um, 
as saying, hey, let's do an alternative fee arrangement. Let's think of a creative way to do this work together. Um, when they don't do that, and most of them don't, frankly, which is sad, um, our in internal clients look at the legal departments in the same fashion, right? They, right. I send them an email and it's a black hole. I don't hear back from them. Right. I sent them this contract, you know, a month ago and I haven't heard back. It's sitting with them. So it's exactly the same cycle of bad customer service or perceived bad customer service no, it's that real. plagues <laughs> law firms and in house. Yeah, yeah, some of it is real. Some of it is real. Now, some of it, Susan, we find that when, when what legal operations does is it's the streamlining of all of it, right? It's, yes. it's cleaning up your processes. It's uh, making sure you have the right people doing the right things. That's critical. Do you have, are you giving a bunch of admin work to paralegals? Most, most departments are. Right. They have these rock star paralegals and they're not using them properly. Um, are they, are they, when they get a headcount, they hire a senior lawyer because of course they want the brain surgeon in there when all they really need is the PA who can do stitches, you know what I mean? And so the higher end sometimes at the wrong level. So they have the wrong people doing work. Everybody's too senior. They don't have junior people who they can push work down to because they get one headcount. So of course they want to hire the most senior person they can when in fact, that's probably, that might not be the right answer. Um, I don't want to be judgmental because you know, you're every, everybody, every case is different, but yeah, you know what I'm saying. And so it's a, Right. And then somebody who's an, helping them analyze that and make judgment calls. And then to the extent that you could get systems in place to, to get data out of it. And so, so sometimes why I say it's perceived poor customer service is because a lot of times like we'll, we'll implement a contracting tool, let's say. And then what you find out is clients are, are complaining that, oh, legal is a black hole and it's just sitting there. And then when you really look at where things are getting hung up, sometimes it's sitting back with the business. You know, you can actually, but then you've got a, a system in place where you can see where things are taking, where the bottlenecks are and, and where, where things aren't running as smoothly as they could be. And so until you have those systems in place and a business manager who can manage that for you, and um, there's you you're working with anecdotal data and and you're everything is by gut check like I feel like we need to hire another person well how do you know you know like how much has your workload increased what new cases are coming in etc and so and unless you're tracking all of that hopefully systematically um it's really hard to understand it's hard to make those business decisions without the data and so legal well, you know now Stephanie, is, I, yeah, I was just gonna mm -hmm. say that to that point um I think so many business people who are now being hired by law firms, uh, they call them the non-attorneys, but really they're, yeah. they're brilliant, oftentimes um, business. Other professionals. Yeah. <laughs> professionals, right. Um, I think those people are um, not, they can't either, like what I'm doing right now, not able to articulate the case. Um, <laughs> Either they, they do articulate the case and the lawyer doesn't understand that speak or they're not able to properly or in the lawyer's language articulate the case and you yes. give them the tools and the language to speak data, to show the backup exactly. to the case. Um, that's very compelling for two reasons. One, trust the data. The data is good. Data tells the story in a different, more compelling narrative. And two, um, even if the lawyer doesn't understand all the data points, for whatever reason, maybe the lawyer personality, um, they trust data more than the marketer's narrative or the marketer's story. It, it's a, it's a, 
different way of telling a compelling story using a different language. And I think lawyers appreciate the data. Um, well, and so do their clients. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. For sure. And when you can say, I represent the clients or the client's best interest or this is what the client needs from you, lawyers will put their phones down. Lawyers will listen. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> they certainly should if they're not, you know, and, 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 and what, just one more thought on the in-house teams, um, Susan, is they end up, this work has to get done, right? When the CFO asks for a budget, it's getting done. But the problem is when you don't have an ops person or a small ops team managing this, the lawyers are doing it and it's not what they want to be doing. It's not what they're trained to do and they're not good at it usually. And so, you know, they spend more time than needs to be spent because they don't know this wasn't their training. It'd be like asking me to write a brief, God forbid. I know. Um, And so, you know, we don't do budgets. I'm like, we do now. Yeah. Right. The client right. wants budget. We do do budgets. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's not going away. That pressure is not going away. And so, you know, it's, we just have to find a better way to do it. And I think legal operations is, is the answer, at least for right now. It is the answer. It is the answer. In fact, um, some say the future is legal ops. I'm like, no, the present is legal ops. Right. You know, you get up to speed because guess what? The train has already left the station. Are you on it or are you not? I want to to introduce you to um, someone and and we'll talk more about this off the podcast, but remind me, I want to introduce you to someone who was um, a GC at a fortune 50 company for more than 26 years. And she has great stories. The two of you together on a podcast or maybe in a, a session or just on a phone call, you need to talk, you need to meet. I think that, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I love yeah. sharing more stories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Now um, you're both going to be on the same, you know, same team with that. Maybe we should throw, you know, um, a, a defense. <laughs> yeah, seriously. To, to mix it up a little bit, but um, well, let me ask you, you've done so much and you have maintained great relationships. And I know that, that you respect your partner so much. Is, is, is he your mentor or is there someone else who's yeah. a mentor to you? Yeah, no, it's funny. Um, he, he's a really special person. Uh, John Hoke, his name is, and he was general counsel at NCR. Um, before that he was with AT&T supporting them. I think he was at Sidley the, almost the whole time he was supporting AT&T. Then he went in-house and, and then was general counsel at NCR. Then, um, joined, you know, I met him at HP when he came out here with, with Mark Hurd and, um, and we became instant friends. And in fact, I think he's, he's, he likes to say that I was the first person he met at HP and the most important person. Cause I helped him navigate the big complexity of the legal department. Um, and I was, so eager to join him at Flex and so grateful for the opportunity to build a legal ops team from scratch with him. And then, then so lucky to get to build up level with him. And um, he is somebody, you know, I, I remember one thing in particular, we had to go through a tough exercise when I was at HP um, of doing layoffs. And I remember having a lengthy conversation with him about, you know, these are people's lives that we're talking about. This isn't a spreadsheet where you're just, you know, cutting off the low, the last five lines of a spreadsheet. Right. Like, the, you know, we have to be really sensitive here. And, and it made me realize very early on with him 
what a good person he is and he cares about the people who work for him and he gets personally involved with his employees and he's and and he made me realize you know that that that's the way I want to run a team and so I learned a lot about management and leadership from him um and uh, aside from his uh, you know, legal skills. I mean, he's, he's the lawyer on our team and it's fantastic. Um, he really cares about connecting with people. Um, and so it's, um, and, and, and me, like, I don't, I don't know that I would have had the courage. I don't think I would have had the courage to start this business without him. And so, um, so he's been a real, um, gift and, so and I, nice. I'm so lucky that he and I got to be friends and work together. Yeah. It's so nice that um, he has the EQ and is a, you know, transformational leader. Maybe we would put a little blurb about him in the blog cast, the blog that we're going to write about you and insert the podcast into it. I'd like to include a little mention of him and maybe a link to his profile. Or Absolutely. Yeah, for yes. sure. Well, let me ask you this. Um, we're coming close to the time where we need to close out, but I you know, my business model is supporting women in business. So I have to ask you, how do you think we could lift one another up? Maybe what should we do more of or less of or stop doing or start doing? I think, you know, one thing that struck me and Susan, you and I have talked about this before. I think promoting each other is great. And having these conversations and just looking for opportunities you know, when, when I do, when I'm putting together an event with panels and such, of course, the first thing I look for is expertise. But if it's a woman who has the expertise, even better. If it's a person of color who has the expertise, even better. So like, I, I definitely look for opportunities to, um, to really highlight people who I think are, are superior in their profession and just do a great job in a certain area. And so I think we can all do a better job of doing that and looking, just looking for opportunities. And once you start becoming aware of it, they present themselves. They really do, as you know, Susan, because you're, you do this day in and day out. And I think the other thing is, and, and this is what you and I have had conversations about is that, and we talked about it earlier in the podcast, I think being yourself and, and giving people the space and giving women in particular, the space to be themselves is totally acceptable. There's not any one model that, w that we have to behave a certain way. We don't have to act like men. I know. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think, you know, like you, you sometimes see people who try to mimic the leadership team and behave that way. And they think that that's the way to get ahead. And I just think as women, we don't have to be bros in order to, to get ahead. We can just be ourselves. And I think for other women to support that, and again, just look for the opportunities to help and, and elevate. The rising tide really does does lift all boats. And and I'm proof of that in my career where, you know, my, I'm using air quotes here, where my competitors, um, like Liam Brown being one who I talked about at Elevate, like really encouraged me and threw work my way and like promoted me. He's, he was, he's technically a competitor and he helped me. And so we, now we work together on projects. And so, um, and so I think looking for those opportunities to work together because there's, this is not a zero sum game. It's just not, there's so much work out there and there's so much opportunity and yeah, you might lose one deal to somebody, but guess what? There's going to be 20 more on its heels. So, so this is not a zero sum game. So looking for just opportunities to elevate each other, either through these um, types of events, these podcasts, 
um, articles, whatever it is, and opportunities to partner together on projects. I think that is a great way to help other women. Well, I have to say, I know Liam, love Liam. He's awesome. In fact, he wrote a testimonial inside my book. I recently published a book with Ross Fishman and Liam's in there. He's terrific. Um, I know that he's, he- He was terrific. He, he was one who gave me such great encouragement. He was the one, one of the people who said, you need to do this. You're going to, it's going to be great. And just, just, you know, he was so encouraging. I was so grateful to have that early conversation with him. Yeah, he kind of strikes me as someone who um, doesn't even consider no as an option. Like, like he's like, let's right. just do this. Let's go for it. I mean, let's try it. Yeah, big yeah. company now, but um, he still hangs on to that um, entrepreneurial spirit, and I mean that Very in a positive much. way. <laughs> you know, I think yes. entrepreneurial yes. is great. Um, so let's cover this last question before we close out for today. Um, what has been your biggest challenge or setback and how did you overcome it? Well, funny enough, I mean, going back to our discussion, I think my biggest setback was for the most part, 99% of the people in my network have been so positive and so great. And I think that speaks to just how many great people really are in this industry. And then I think where I was most surprised were uh, there was a, a tiny, tiny, tiny handful of people who I was very, very close to who weren't supportive and kind of turned um, and just didn't think this was a good idea, me going out on my own and thought, you know, yeah, and, 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 uh, and relationships, uh, there were, yeah, and a couple of relationships fell apart that I was, that I was uh, very, very surprised about and didn't feel confused as to why, you know, it happened. But I think, you know, trying to take the, the uh, elevated road, so to speak, um, you know, looking, looking at my Buddhist principles, right. And and just trying to be, you know, just, it it doesn't matter. I I can't, you, we can't control, right. What other people do and say and think and you know they have their reasons and and I have a script in my head but I never gave them that script so they don't know what I'm thinking and I don't know what they're thinking and and of course I'm I, you know I make assumptions and and they don't know what my assumptions are and all of that so I think just letting that go and recognizing that okay sometimes you know things shift and and uh, relationships shift and not everybody is going to be your biggest fan all of the time and forever and and it's okay and so sometimes business relationships fall apart that you thought were so solid and it's it's and we've all had experiences like that I know and and so you just have to I think gracefully as you can move past them and I think keep keeping your side of the street clean so to speak where you you know you do the best you can and 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 Yes. And, 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 and just, you know, do everything you can to, uh, to, I guess, be as positive and, and, you know, not talk publicly about people and, and just, you know, move forward and say, Hey, look, you know, yeah, this didn't work out, but just do the best you can in your life. And, and that's all you can really do. I know it sounds trite, but you know what I'm saying, right? No, uh, uh, uh. kindness wins the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like if you are um, kind and you do good things, think good thoughts, you know, cause no harm, that eventually they will either come around or go away. So those are the choices. Right. So you'll survive. Right. And you, you, like you said, you can't control others. You can only control self. So 
Um, I wish you every blessing, every good thing, every positive thing. And, and in those times when you don't win in accordance with how you define winning, I hope you learn. So win or learn, never lose. You're a remarkable woman who I think everyone who knows you sort of feels like, wow, I'm really honored to know her. She's, she's a really good person whose energy makes me a better person. I know I feel that way personally. So thank you. Thank you, Susan. That's really special. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I appreciate it. Well, folks, we'll put um, Stephanie's contact information, how to connect with her, how to contact her, her bio, her headshot, and a few other storytelling photos, videos, perhaps, in the blog. And I will share that with you as soon as it gets done, which will be within a week. So look for that. Um, And Stephanie, thank you so much for being here today. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. You, Yeah, same, Susan. Thank you. And thanks to your audience for listening. Absolutely. You're quite compelling. So have a great day, everyone. And thanks for showing up. Bye-bye.